with any specific scripture, maybe John 3.16 if you want to go ahead and turn there. But I'm going to be all over the Bible today because I really want to teach you over the next couple of uh, Sundays. I don't know how many Sundays I'll be in this, um, maybe two. I'm thinking about ending with kind of just a little marriage sermon. Some people like my marriage sermons. Some people can't stand them. So uh, I figured I'd do one. So maybe. I don't know. I just don't know how the Lord's leading me right now. Um, he's kind of just giving me one step at a time. So we'll follow that. Amen. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, you just do your thing however you want to do it. I'll leave it up to you. I'm just going to hide behind the cross in your word, preach the word, and let the chips fall where they may. But just do a marvelous work in us today, Lord. We thank you. We embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We are a people that want to change, to be better for you, to be better for our families, to be better for ourselves, to be better for our wives, but more importantly, to be better to this community. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. Thank you, Melissa. You know, I want to go into uh, kind of a series of, of just meticulous teaching. I, I don't want to preach at you, but I want, just want to teach you. And this is where you're either going to tune me out or hate me or like me. But I want to teach about why we tithe. <laughs> and all the air just sucked out of the room when I said that word. And that's really why I entitled it, Mind Your Own Business, because that's what a lot of people tell the pastor when he starts preaching about tithe, is why don't you just mind your own business? But let's just flip that, and I want you to mind your business. Uh, because your life is a business, your family is a business, your marriage is a business, raising your kids is a business, and, and we have to mind our business and do our business well, amen? Most business owners want their business to succeed. They don't want it to fail, and, and it's the same way as our lives and our families. We want our families to succeed. So I really want to tell you how, why we tithe. I want to tell you about how we tithe. And, then, and here's the deal, and I think this is the most important thing today that probably you've never thought of, but I want to tell you how to get it to work more effectively in your life. And I think that's what Christians don't understand. Because understand this, church, is that sometimes you can do the right thing and not get the right results in the kingdom of God. Now let me say that again. Sometimes as a Christian you can do the right thing but not get the right results because we don't understand what we're doing. Are you with me? I might have told this story before if I have just laugh really hard. Um, it, it, it's like the, the, the man that the wife said, hey, honey, could you bring home a ham? I'm going to make a ham tonight. And so he brought home a ham, and, and as soon as she got the ham, she cut off the butt end of the ham she put in the oven. And he's like, well, why in the world do you do that? And he's like, well, that's just because that's how you cook a ham, honey. I mean, you, you go to work and just let me cook the food. So, so they were at a Christmas, and, and he finally asked the mom, like, why do y'all cut the butt end off the ham? And the wife speaks up and goes, Mama, that's, that's how you taught me how to cook the ham. And the mom's like, Honey, I cut the butt end because my pan was too little. That's the only reason. <laughs> so sometimes we, we can do the right thing, but without the right understanding, we really don't know what we're doing. Are you with me? And I believe a lot of Christians are like that. Sometimes people do things in the realm of Christianity that we see other people doing and we don't understand why they do it and they get the right results but we do it and don't get the results and I'll tell you the difference. 
Those that do it and get the results have received the revelation. Those that do it and don't get the right results, they haven't received the revelation of why we do what we do. Are you with me? So today I want to talk to you about on the screen is giving is slow. Not S-L-O-W, but S-L-O. And what that means on the next slide is giving is for lovers only. Giving is for lovers only. So today I really want to get into the heart of giving. I want to get into the, the spirit of giving. And I believe that there are people literally here today. I believe there are people that have the gift of giving. I believe there are people that flow in the ministry of giving. But it has literally been put on the shelf because your husband or your spouse or your family or your friends have literally told you, you go too far. You're way too generous. Those people don't deserve what you're giving them. And what those people in the sphere of influence don't realize is you were happier when you were flowing in your gifting. You were happier when you were, you were more blessed in your life when you were giving. But they talked you into a prison of ineffectiveness and now you got to break out of that prison in order for God to flow, F-L-O-W, in your life. Are you with me today? So we all have to understand that, that in order to receive, we must first give. It is a principle in the Bible. So when you start giving, it places you in a channel. Somebody say channel. It's a channel where you and God start working together. It, 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 it's not just with tithe, but it's with love. It's with patience. You are a channel. You become a point. When you follow the principles of the Bible, you become a point in the earth that he can flow through. When I told you last week that when we break and we stay open and we give God a place to nest, when we teach, it's him teaching uh, uh, through us to them. We become that channel of God's flow, F-L-O-W. But if there is no flow in our life, there is no life. That's the problem with the Dead Sea. There is no exit. And it has become the Dead Sea full of salt where nothing can grow there. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 3.16. I believe it's going to be up on the screen. I can't really see it back there. But it says, for God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I know that this is a crazy scripture to teach you about tithe, but follow with me because I'm going to set up a case today, okay? All right. This scripture is always used to teach you about salvation, and it should. We, we go to that scripture to try to lead you to Jesus, but the principle of salvation is a term on the screen that we use the word, it's a theological term called redemption. Somebody say redemption. Redemption means that I buy something back. So instead of God using money, God used blood. He made a transaction, a business transaction, if you will, on the cross. That's why on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a... You have been bought. Jesus bought you with his blood. He has the title on you. He owns you. 
That's why the Holy Spirit, when he comes to live in you, the Holy Spirit is earnest money on you. It is the down payment on you. You are his purchased possession according to the book of Ephesians. So on the screen, God was doing business on the cross. He was in the business to get you. Are you with me today? So let's go back to that scripture. I don't know. I don't think it's on the screen, guys. But look at your, look at your Bible, John 3, 16. Everybody say, for God. He is the infinite one. Somebody say so. That is to the infinite degree. For God so. Somebody say love. That's infinite compassion. For God so loved. Somebody say the world. Now let me let you in on a secret. That's infinite confusion. This world is confused. It's infinite confusion. That he gave. Somebody say gave. That's the infinite expression. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. What is that? That's the infinite gift. So we see God in his infinite wisdom. And when we see the infinite one, when we see the infinite degree and the infinite compassion to infinite confusion with the infinite expression of the infinite gift, what I'm trying to show you in John 6, 3, uh, 3, uh, 3, 16 is God is a lover. He is a lover. So I say lover. God loves you, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. Paul says this, while we were yet still sinners, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you because he loves you so much because God is a lover. So the first thing in, in, in the Bible he's teaching us about loving and on the screen, loving is about giving. It's about giving. God so loved the world that he shouted? No, don't say that. God so loved the world that he clapped his hands? God so loved that he attended church? No. God so loved that he got into ministry? No. God so loved that he gave. So there has to be a correlation in the Bible between loving and giving. Don't tell me you love someone and you've never given them a thing. Because love makes you give. Look at a little child that brings home a, a painting to mommy. If she throws that away, it breaks her heart because it was an expression of love. That Mommy, I know you want to put that on the refrigerator. Right? So whether it's a kid bringing home a painting to mommy to put on the refrigerator or mommy, mommy making biscuits on a Sunday morning. I don't know if y'all eat biscuits, but in the South we eat biscuits. And, and, and it's an expression of love. If you want to love me, bring me biscuits. Made with buttermilk. <laughs> love is about giving. So on the screen, if you're taking notes, love makes you want to give. And if you give under any other stimulus, don't miss this. If you give under any other stimulus, your giving is ineffective. When people give things to you, just to manipulate you, to get you to do what they want you to do, and you finally realize that this is a manipulator that has been giving you gifts, then the very first gift all the way up to that gift loses its value. 
Are you hearing me today? So what God wants to teach us, church, is there is a difference, and don't miss this, between lovers and lusters. Lovers and lusters. Because in the church realm, there is a difference between lusting for the things that God can give you and loving the God that can then give you things. Don't miss that. Because it happens in the church realm, we lust for things and we want God just to give it to us. And there's a difference between lusting after things and loving the God that if he chooses, he can give the things. Amen? So there is a huge difference. Because on the screen, love gives and lust takes. Because lust is focused on self-gratification. That is why James 1.14 in the King James Version says, But every man is tempted, and when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. And sometimes when we read that, we think he's talking about sex. But it's not about sex, because all of us in this room can lust for things. And when we lust for things, the Bible calls that envy. So when we bring it down into the context in which I'm talking about, you can be sitting in a church and you can see someone with things. And you can envy that person in the church that has things and you can lust for the life they have, the things they have, the car they drive, the house they live in. And then you know what we do? We start giving tithe and we start giving offering just to see if it's going to work for me. And then I can get those things too. And then if we don't get it in a few weeks, we stop. Well, it didn't work for me. I don't know how it's working for them. You know why it didn't work for you? Because lust always runs out. Lust runs out. Lust gets bored. Lust, sooner or later, will say, enough is enough. I'm done. This principle of tithe don't work for me. And that's why a lot of marriages don't work. Because they're built on lust. And when the fascination of the lust ends in the marriage, there's nothing uh, uh, to hold the marriage together because it's not founded on love. I can show you two lusters, and I can show you two lusters, uh, lovers. And the principle is, is both of them are doing the same thing, but they're doing it through a different stimulus. Are you with me? Doing the exact same thing, but two different stimuli. And that's why the luster will wear out, and the other one, the luster, I mean the lover, will, will, will stay together infinitely because it is built on a foundation of a higher principle called love. You with me today? So now we bring it to the context of what I'm teaching you, is you can have two people sitting side by side. Every Sunday, one person can get a different response with their tithe than the other person. Because one person is trying to see if it'll work. Using uh, it to help them get what they want. When the other person that is a lover says, Lord, I just love you. I love you today, God. And I give this tithe whether I got the job or I don't have the job. 
Because what I've realized in my Christian walk is, God, everything belongs to you. I'm just happy with what you've put me over, and I'm glad to bring this to you today because I love what you've done for me. If you've never given me anything else but Jesus Christ, I love you. Two different things. Both of them sat by each other. Both of them put it in a tithe envelope. Both of them stood up during worship. Both of them raised their hand at the exact same time in the point of the service of the song that everybody raises their hand and claps. Everybody was doing the exact same thing, but they got different results. Different results because they were doing it for two different reasons. One was a luster the other was a lover because the lover got the revelation of what it means to give. And God judges that. Because I got news for you. All of us are going to face the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. That's for people that are going to hell. But Christians will face the judgment seat of Christ. This is not a time for God to see whether you're saved or not. You're there because you're saved. If you're in the other line, well, it's too late. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to look at your deeds and he's going to weigh the reason why you did them. He's going to look into your heart. He's going to get down to the motive. But I changed tires for people and I stopped and I did this and I gave them that and I did that. What were you doing it for? That's what he's going to look at. That's why good people can't make it to heaven. There's a lot of good people in the world. But do they have the right motive? Do they have the blood of Jesus applied to their life? Because look at the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says this. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone, basically a Christian, builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, now watch it, begins to degrade wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. In other words, there are a lot of people in the church, and some did the right things, but they did it for the wrong reasons. My brother always says, uh, says brother, everything that glitters ain't gold. And that's the same way in the church. Everything that glitters ain't gold because it's the motive of the heart. God searches the heart. He's never impressed by your action. But he's impressed by the attitude and the righteousness behind the action. And God evaluates it. And based on his valuation, he then determines either to bless you or not to bless you. It's not about the size of the action or even the size of the gift. There could be a millionaire and there could be somebody that only gave $10. And the one that gave $10, if they're a luster, I mean, a lover, while the millionaire is a luster, the $10 is going to get more blessed than the million dollars. Are you hearing me today? So the hard question to ask ourselves right now is, am I a luster? Or am I a lover? Because love gives. Love is the absence of selfishness. Love in the Bible is agape. It's a God kind of love. It's the love that provoked God to give his one and only son to die for you and me. Agape is the only term, or the only word written of its age 
in any other literature. It's only found in the Bible. No other literature in, in its day and age used the word agape. Because agape is used to describe a love that is beyond human comprehension. You cannot possibly even fathom it. So if any of you in here ever struggle to bring a tithe check, then you cannot comprehend the kind of love that would send a son to die on the cross for you. So what is it about the word that God uses over and over and over again? So glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5. Now, we always use this about spouses. We use this in marriages. But let's use this in light of God. If we're truly a lover, love is patient. I don't give today to expect a check tomorrow. I give today, and if he never blesses me, I know I'm storing up blessings for Kean and Caden. Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, you could just look at your, your tithe check and see if it's kind. It does not envy. So love is not a luster. Love doesn't go, look what I'm giving and look what I got. It does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Well, if you would give, God would bless you. Because he's blessing me. <laughs> you want to be like me? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. If anybody gets angry at me today, luster. I'm just teaching you the word. Oh, I love this when it keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, this is what my paycheck was, so God's going to get $102.03. I'm keeping a record, and I'm looking at what I'm giving, and then I'm trying to see what God's giving me back. No, it don't do that. Look at it through the terms of tithe, not just your marriage. Because Paul spends an entire teaching about love because we live in a loveless world. We live in a loveless world. Even though we come to church, even though we worship in church, even though we serve in the church, I bet you all of us struggle to understand agape. We struggle to understand the love of God. Dave Ojeda was telling me when his niece passed away that the, a pastor came in, she got saved, and then soon thereafter slipped into heaven. And, and, and you know, he, he understands it, but I, I could see the struggle in his heart. Like, how, how, how could she just slip right in? It's agape, baby. It's agape. We can't comprehend why God loves us so much that we could just slip right in. And because we don't understand it, usually we don't duplicate it. We don't duplicate it in our behavior. And many times what we do is we do the right things as Christians, but we do them for the wrong reasons. And listen to me. Let me go a little bit deeper. Are y'all ready? All right. Go, uh, go, just go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Let's just go there. Because that, that's where God begins to describe Eden. When you look at Eden, Eden was a, a place of love. A place of love. And I believe God, as his children, wants us to live in a place of love. He wants us to live in a state of love. So when you look at Eden, don't think about a geographical location. Think about a state. Think about a well-being. 
Because when we look at the Garden of Eden, what we're looking at is God's plan for man. God's plan for man was for you and I to walk in a state of perpetual love with him. God's plan for man was for us to walk in a a perpetual state of communion with him. And in the Garden of Eden, God's plan for man was for us to walk in a state of perpetual blessing. God set up the system. Your pastor didn't. God set up the system in the Garden of Eden so that when you read it in its original state, you could see a picture of what he wants to do in your life. Everybody say if. You get a picture of what he wants to do in your life if you obey his word. If you obey his word. Because when you look at Eden, we see Adam and Eve. And we see Adam and Eve had all their needs met, but almost wet. You see that? All their needs met with no sweat. So if you're thinking that every blessing that you got was because you worked for that blessing, you're missing the entire message today. The entire message is missed today if you think your blessing's because you worked for it. You still don't hear what your pastor is saying. God wants you to be in a place where blessings come to you, where blessings overtake you, where blessings run you down. And it's not just financial. It could be a blessing of peace in your home constantly, a perpetual state of peace. So if you're living in a perpetual state of chaos, tune in your ears to me today. Are you with me? He wants you to dwell in a place of abundance, church. Look at Adam. The man would fall asleep and fresh vegetation would grow up. Pick an apple, fall asleep, a new apple would be there where he picked it from. Fresh crops, fresh fruit was growing all around him so that when he woke up in the morning, all of his needs were met. He was never too far from what he was hungry for. And I'm not trying to preach you a prosperity message because I don't believe in that hocus pocus. This is about God supplying all of your needs, not your wants, your needs, your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So I don't know about you, but I don't ever want my children in need. I get sick and it breaks my heart, Crystal. I know it breaks yours too. I don't want them to be in need. I just want to be like, give them elderberry. (laughs) Rush them to the hospital. And Carrie's like, no, it's just a sniffle. I just don't want them to be this way. How many of you got children and you know what I'm talking about? All of you are children of God. He doesn't want you to be in need either. He doesn't want you to be in need either, church. Are you with me? I'm not talking about getting your kids an iPad and an Xbox and a PlayStation. Those are wants. It bothers the heart of God if you don't have your needs met as his children. So God desires for you to dwell in a perpetual state of Eden. And God designed the environment. Somebody say environment. He designed Adam's environment. And on the screen, this is the question you need to ask yourself. What environment has God designed for you that you're not living in? 
Because maybe you're in this room today and you're not living in the environment that God has designed for you financially because you keep sabotaging that environment. You keep sabotaging that environment with excess. You keep sabotaging that environment with debt. You keep sabotaging that environment by overspending on your wants. It's the same way with God's design for marriage. People sabotage it, not God. You can step out of the design and the environment for a perfect marriage, but it's your own stinking fault, not God's. He's designed it with principles that you can follow, and it'll be a blessed thing, or it can be a cursed thing. You decide. Now, I cannot get into the details of how to stay in that environment of blessing. So I'm going to leave that up to Randy Wallerick as he'll be leading a life group called I Was Broken, Now I'm Not. So if you are living paycheck to paycheck and you are in debt and you don't know how to manage money right and don't let pride rise up right now and go, I know how to do it real good. I'm real good and broke, okay? So you need to sign up for that. It will help you. I promise you, it changed my life when I found the principles to keep me in the environment and it will change yours. Are you hearing me? And all of us sometimes need to renew our minds. If you want to get a new mind about finances, join that group. But I won't get into all of that. Listen, God meticulously created the earth with all the wonders for mankind. God set up the garden for the express purpose of giving them an environment. Somebody say environment. Where every need could be met. Why? Because God is a lover. Because you need to understand, church, it is the Father's good pleasure to give. To give. And if you want to learn to stay in that environment that He designed you to do, don't disobey like Adam did. When you obey the principles of the Bible, it will open up the F-L-O-W of God over your life. Are you hearing me? Can I go a little bit deeper? All right, wake up. All the sleepers don't tithe. How about that? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, I, I've told you there is a law in theology called the law of first mention. It's the law of first mention. And usually you'll find it in the book of Genesis. If it ain't rooted in the book of Genesis, usually it's not true. Whenever something is first mentioned, it'll generally have a continuity throughout the Bible. If it doesn't have continuity, it's not a law, it's not a principle. For example... The blood redemption didn't happen on Calvary. The blood redemption happened in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, when God took uh, uh, animals and, and killed them and covered over uh, uh, Adam and Eve's uh, uh, nakedness. So what we have to understand is the Old Testament is a shadow. So right now, you see my shadow, right? Kind of. It's, it's like, ha! There's the shadow. In the shadow, can you see the ring on my finger? You can't even hardly see the shadow. You can't see the ring on my finger because shadows don't give details. Shadows don't give all the things. So the Old Testament is a shadow, but the New Testament is the reality where it begins to reveal the things. Are you with me? And since God is consistent because the book of Malachi says, I, the Lord, do not change. Somebody say, don't change. Times change. Lord knows people change, 
but God always remains the same. So if God is one way in Genesis, he'll be that way in the book of Revelation. So if it took blood to forgive sins in the book of Genesis, I can run over to the book of Revelation and read, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Are you hearing me this morning? So what happens is the shadow gives you an idea of what God is doing, but it doesn't always give you the details. So you've got to research what is this law, what is going on here. So when Adam sinned, God found an animal, and we learned that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, okay? <clears throat> Therefore, tithing is, not a is a principle that is not only found in the Old Testament, it's also found in the New, te uh, the New Testament, and it is rooted in the book of Genesis, and it's rooted way before Melchizedek. And since it's rooted in Genesis, it is a law of first mention, and it's consistent all the way through the Bible. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. <coughs> Sorry, I get a little excited about this stuff. Genesis 2, verse 9. And then we'll look at verse 17. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 17. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, if you read this entire verse... Look at what God says. You can eat from all of those trees, but don't eat of this one. Don't eat of this one. Don't eat of this one because that was God's divine portion. Look on the screen. Tithing is God's divine portion. He says, you obey me, you will remain in an environment of perpetual blessings that will flow in your life. But if you touch the tree, if you eat the divine portion, if you touch the tithe, I will stop blessing you because of disobedience. Eating from the divine portion stops the blessing. And when I look at it, to me it's a good deal. You mean I get to eat all of these trees, but that one, I got no problem with that. You mean I can have 90% of my money and give you back 10? I'm good with that. I'm good with that. It's divine portion. Listen to me, church. <clears throat> it's not God that wants to stop blessing you, it's your disobedience to the word that clogs up the flow. And when we violate the divine principle and we eat the divine portion, we come out of the perpetual blessing of the environment that he wants us in and we stop the flow. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I ain't never tied. I tip, and I'm still blessed. I'll get to you at the end of the service, so you might want to leave real quickly. But I'll get, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come and sit right beside you in the pew and tell you why you're wrong. Okay? Look, 
How many of you have ever owned a business? Raise your hand. How many of you that were business owners? If you were looking for a partner, you found two people. And the one partner said, look, I'll give you 25%. Or no, give me 25%. And then you went to another person and they say, look, I'll partner with you. Just give me 10%. If you were a good business person, who would you pick? You said 25%, you're a liar. I would pick the partner that only wanted 10% back. Are you hearing me? Now, if we think that way when it comes to humans and partnership with humans, why is it all of a sudden we get in the church and we think differently about God? God says, I'll bless you for every dime on your dollar. And then we're like, nope. Don't want no part of that. Look. God tells Adam, live in this environment. You got the whole garden, but don't touch that one. And look at the first thing the devil does. Because when I said tithe, the devil walked in this room and said, turn your ear off to him. Tell him to mind your own business. Because the devil comes in, and the first thing he does when he comes in that garden Look at what he seduces them to do. Touch it. Eat it. Take it. It's yours. The devil knew that the day that they ate of the divine proportion, they would be kicked out of the blessed environment. God says you can have anything but this. And why did God say that? Was there something about that tree that only God wanted? If they would have chopped down that tree, he's God. He'd have built a new one. Are you with me? He's God. He could create another one. I get people, does God need my 10%? No, he don't need your 10% because he's already got your 100, baby. He's already got your 100. Then why, pastor? Say it with me. Love. Tithe is love. As the musicians come, I'll get out of your hair because I know you don't want me to touch your pocketbook. Somebody say love. I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm just looking at who's leaving. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If there were only one man and one woman left on this entire earth. One man, one woman left on this entire earth. The man walked up to the woman and said, I love you. I want to marry you. She'd be like, of course you do. I'm the only one left. With my warts and all, you want to marry this? You crazy. Why? Because on the screen, choices prove love. In every marriage ceremony I do, I always say, out of everybody on this earth, I chose you. I include that because love is proven through a choice. Giving you an option proves love. 
Because if God gave you everything, your needs and your wants, and he required nothing of you, you would miss the opportunity to tell God, see how much I love you? Tithe is about love. And church, I am a firm believer that God wants to bring you and he wants to bring this church into an environment, an Eden-like environment where there's perpetual love in this church, where there's perpetual communication in this church, that you're hearing from God, I'm hearing from God, and that there's perpetual blessing in your life and in this church. Because where the blessing flows, I know that's where people are really tuning in in revelation and loving God. Somebody say, Lord, help me not to stop the flow. Can I tell you what? Every area in my life that was messed up was because I did it. I made a dumb choice, a stupid decision. I messed it up. I brought it upon myself, not God. Let me go a little bit deeper and I'll get out of your hair. Tithing, even though we're doing it at the end, is not an emotional explosion where a pastor gets up here and preaches you to give. If you do that today, you're doing it for the wrong reason. See, tithing is like circulation. It's seed to the sower. It's reciprocity. I look at it like I play ball with God. I throw him a tennis ball. He throws me back a big, huge beach ball. You see the change? I threw him little. He blesses me big. I want you to be in a cycle. I want you to be in a system. I want you to stay in an environment where God sustains you. Because you are faithful, even as he is faithful to you. Now, I said I'm going to come and sit down right beside you. For those of you that say, I ain't ever gave a dime and I'm still blessed. Okay, let's go to 1 John 2. 1 John 2, I ain't done yet. Come on, let's go. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Don't doze off. It's about time to go home and get the Super Bowl party ready. No, no, let's look, let's look, let's look. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, oh Lord, I didn't say it, God, you did. Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, what is the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He is showing you still here, lusters and lovers. Now let's jump back to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did that pastor really say you've got to give 10%? That's hogwash. The woman said to the serpent, well, yeah, the pastor did say that. He said we may eat from the 90% but not give the 10%. That's what he said. And that I can't touch it, it's divine portion, or, or I, I could not be blessed. Read it, read it. And then look at the devil. <laughs> ah! That pastor don't know what he's talking about. You ain't going to 
going to surely be cursed. You ain't going to step out of his blessing. You ain't going to surely die. Well, that preacher knows, but God knows that when you eat it, you're going to have more money. You can go on vacation. Save up that tithe. Go on vacation. Save up that tithe. Buy your wife that refrigerator she wants. Watch this and don't miss this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. When you saw that that 10% was good to buy groceries, lust of the flesh. I think about that 10% and how I could save up and buy that boat. She said, for pleasing for the eye, lust of the eyes. And also for gaining wisdom. That pastor don't know what he's talking about. I'm still blessed. Pride of life. She ate, gave some to her husband. The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. And the next thing you know, they were kicked out of the environment. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life are the only three reasons that walk in this room when I said tithe that says, you know what, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to listen to it. Because I've shown you every reason today not to eat it. Don't touch it. The only three reasons that you have, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God said it, not me, love not the world. That is why giving is for lovers only. And the Bible says if anyone loves the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, the love of the Father is not in them. I didn't say it, God said it. God wants you to prove your love through the discipline of tithing. Look, Eve ate, Adam ate. We all went down. We're all tempted by those three things. But this is the last thing I want to show you. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 on the screen. I didn't say it, God did. Will a mere mortal, that's you, rob God? Yet you rob me. You sit here today and ask me how. How are we robbing you? in tithing offerings, then watch what he says. You're under a curse, you whole nation, because you're robbing me. Let me just say this. God was angry. And let me say this too. There were a lot of things God could have been angry about. Because that nation, they were polygamous. That nation were bigamous. That nation was idolaters. They were tied up in some crazy stuff, y'all. And guess what God did? Forgave them over and over and over again. But when it came to the divine portion, he said, I'm mad at you. I'm angry. Why? Because what you're seeing in Malachi is reflecting all the way back down to Genesis when he was angry at them and kicked them out of the environment. I don't know if you're eating the portion or not, but I know if you are eating it, because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes of the pride of life. And it's only you ignoring God's command. God's saying, take the 90, but don't touch the 10. That's my divine portion. Let me say this. If you were in business and somebody was robbing you, you'd say the same thing. Get out. 
get out. Rip up that contract. Last thing on the screen, are you fending for yourself because God can't trust you with the job? God needs a love choice today. And that's why we strategically worship after we give. In every one of our services, we have a worship song in our tithing. And we encourage you to stand and continue to worship. We always tell you, it's never an interruption in our service because it's an opportunity to continue to worship your God. Really? This here is not the highlight of your Sunday. Me preaching is not the highlight of your Sunday. When these ushers start to come forward right now, that's the highlight of the service. That's your worship experience. That's where we get to continue to sing a song and worship Him. Because when we learn how to get in that environment, now that we've got revelation, it's going to start working for you. So what we need to do is we need to stop trying it and we need to stop tipping Him. And we just need to stop touching the divine portion. And if you don't like me today and you never come back to this church because you say that pastor's all about money, you're only going to hear two sermons about it. Now that means I may preach it next week or I may not. You don't never know. But if it's empty, we'll know who the lusters are versus the lovers. Look, here's the deal. If we would just stop, start loving him like he needs to be loved, I'm telling you, he'd bless you. I've been tithing for 26, 27 years. <laughs> Never missed a meal, as you can tell. Never missed a bill. Credit cards paid off. Cars about to be paid off. The only monster that I face is my house. And God's blessing us in ways that we couldn't even begin to tell you today. And I want him to bless your life. You know, you want him to bless my life, he'll bless this church. That's called reciprocity. That's called kingdom principles. I'd rather your life be blessed than this church. All you've got to give is 10. You get to keep the 90. Take what you've learned today. Don't touch the divine portion. Stay in the environment of perpetual blessing perpetual love, and perpetual communication. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, this was heavy today, I know, but it was revelatory today. So now we, we are responsible for the revelation that we're exposed to. We can either expand our perspective and change, or we can continue to be exposed to more light and reject it. But we never know when that light will be cut off. Father, I just pray today that people receive this from the love of my heart, that I want them to be blessed, not to be cynical like the enemy would try to get them to do and try to uh, change my words and thwart my words and, and go out of here saying all that pastor does is talk about money. No, he talks about blessings, and he talks about where obedience is, blessings follow. Let them see my heart today that I love them and that you love them because you're a lover. And now it's our turn, through this offering and through this worship, to love you back. It's an expression of how much we appreciate you, of what you've done in our life. Bless the gift, bless the giver, 
and let it now be through the right heart and let it be effective in their life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. After